Welcome, data people. We are Zuma. My name is Matt, and this is the Data for Good podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Zuma. Zuma is a dedicated recruitment company focusing on data positions across Berlin. The Data for Good podcast is for the world of data science, analytics, and engineering, giving you a platform to hear the thoughts and opinions of data leaders from Berlin and beyond. Today, we are joined by Tian Kai Feng, data and analytics governance expert. TEDx speaker, and of course, musician and songwriter, Tian Kai, welcome. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this conversation today. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you on. Um, big fan of all of your content and uh, all the work that you Thank do. You. Today, we are here to talk about making data inclusive. So you're super passionate and it is infectious, uh, the work that you do. Where did it start? When did it all start for you? Absolutely. Um, I think, I mean, generally speaking about my background, I've been working in data all my career. So I studied already data and marketing. Then I went into marketing analytics. I went into BI analytics, a little bit of data science, a little bit of consumer insights, and then also finally into data governance. And along the whole journey, I think I realized that the most difficult part, but also the most rewarding part is the people part of it, right? So as a data team or as a data professional itself, you are still really much um, depending on your stakeholders to actually work with you. So data actually creates value, right? Data on its own without being used is really worthless. So you have to do everything in your power to make the data being used for decision-making, being sold or being operationalized, however, to actually make it work. Um, so I developed a, a big passion for this topic, right? Like how do we actually make data valuable by making it more accessible for everyone and by making it more fun also for everyone. So I used all my talents like my music or my humor or my communication skills to bring it to the people more. And I realized that there has been this kind of uh, almost um, unspoken distance mm -hmm. about how data in the last years has developed. The field of data has become more and more, um, I would say, um, more full of passionate people that are really yeah. proud of what they're doing. But that created um, unexpectedly this kind of distance that people feel like they're very far away, the data people, right? They're doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. I am not daring to touch it anymore. Things are getting very complicated. There's AI now and everything. I don't yeah. even know where to get started. So I let the data people do what they do. Um, and I'll just stay back here. But that is the opposite of what we want as data people, yeah. right? We want to actually get closer to the business. We want to collaborate more. Um, and yeah, this is really what I'm passionate about. And I'm very happy that we talk about it today. Absolutely. Was there a light bulb moment when you've been working in data for so many years and you just realized that we need to focus on the people side? Was there something that triggered you? Tell us about that. I think it really comes from different experiences with different stakeholders, right? So you would have like the worst case scenarios where people don't even want to meet with you as a data professional. And they're like, oh, I don't need data. I just got to do my own thing and do my own decisions based on my gut feeling. And then you have the contrast to the extreme advocates, let's say, that they're super passionate about data, that mm -hmm. are inviting you proactively to every conversation early on and really letting you be part of decision-making and have a seat at the table of decision-making, for example. And putting that in contrast, right, you realize that there's such a range of reactions and attitudes towards mm -hmm. data 
that there's a lot to improve on. So you think about resistance and advocacy, you think about actionability versus um, the storytelling and all these kind of topics on how to actually bring it to people so people can be as active and as passionate about involving you as a data professional um, as, as they can. Um, and every other conflict becomes more of an investigation almost, right? You want to find out why people are so distant to it. Are they afraid of data? Did they make bad, bad experiences with data? Um, they have, do they have something to hide maybe in the worst case? Who knows, right? So um, getting closer, um, really becoming a people person is really key here, I think. Is it more a case of educating or understanding? How do we get the stakeholders to give us a seat at the table? Um, absolutely. I think education and understanding uh, is important. But it starts even earlier, right? I think it starts with the whole attitude. Like just generally speaking, there's everybody has a certain bias, right? Towards um, data. Like what does it mean to you? And if your first reaction is like backing away and not touching it, then mm -hmm. something is off there. Because then you don't even have a chance to educate or make the people understand of what's going on, right? So where do you even get started? So there's a lot of maybe uh, misconceptions around working with data and um, especially around data governance where I'm at right now, right? Where it feels like people see you as a police or as roadblockers instead of actually helping and generating value in the field. Yeah. Um, how to get there, right? And um, I think it then comes to really appealing to the more emotional and human side of it all, right? Instead of rationalizing why meeting with you and working with you is important, Maybe mm -hmm. it's more about, look, data is actually fun. Look in your life, um, everywhere around you, there's data. It shouldn't be that scary. You shouldn't be afraid of it. Let's just do something with it. Um, another point of view, I think I realized is that when I meet stakeholders or clients for the first time, right, to not start with selling myself as like, this is why I'm great for you. This is why working with me is great. But first, just to empathize, right? Like, mm -hmm. so what are you working on? What are your pain points when it comes to data? Um, how is it for you to work with data and then piggyback on whatever that person is saying to then find the segue in to have a proper conversation on equal level, not just trying to sell yourself to the other person. Um, I think uh, even like first impressions count, right? So um, how to start conversations, how to communicate for the first time, I think is also a big key there. Data culture is something that's been thrown around a lot at the moment. It's probably... Uh, the younger brother to the tech culture, the product culture. Mm -hmm. What what are we trying to achieve? What what is data culture? I think um, really for me, the main objective of data culture is to have a data informed decision making culture, right? And I'm not saying data driven because data driven usually implies that you uh, automate certain decision makings, and then it's really data driven. Data informed means that we really want to respect the subject matter experts, but we just want to enrich and improve the decision making a little bit with facts and data. And I think it's really more of a catching up thing, I feel like, because mm -hmm. um, most of the companies in the world have somewhere in the strategy written that they're data informed or data driven or fact based, right? Mm -hmm. But they're just not acting like it, right? They're mm -hmm. all saying it, but many of them are not doing it. So it's more of catching up with what's already been said and what's already been communicated to just actually finally do it. And I think the most difficult part about um, any kind of culture element in an organization is that it has to be driven top down, right? So if you have 
um, leaders that are only saying it um, but not actually following through it, then everybody else below will not feel the need to become more data focused either, right? They're mm -hmm. all going to act accordingly and follow the leadership that's above. If you have somebody who's a super big data advocate and a fact advocate, then things will trickle down, right? Like um, things will get uh, more important to um, justify and um, yeah. argue with data and with facts. And then more and more that will also lead to more things like data literacy needs and upscaling needs and um, data access kind of topics uh, once it's there. So yeah, I mean, a data culture for me really is a subset of a company culture, right? Like um, acting fact-based should not actually be that new. It's just that mm -hmm. most of the facts we have nowadays is already in digital data format. So yeah. why not just use it, right? Why should we not act on facts? Many of the important jobs in the world, like doctors or detectives and police, they're all acting on facts. Why shouldn't we do it as well, right, in any organization? Um, yeah. So that's why I hope the motivation for our data culture comes from. Is there a limit? So if we were all data-driven, we wouldn't drink alcohol, we'd go to bed at nine o'clock. Is it, does business follow the same kind of, we know that what the right thing to do with data, but we give a little bit of trade-off. Do you see similar resistance yeah. in business? Interesting question. I think, though, there's two things, though, right? So one is to look at the facts and, as a default, have effects ready to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. But how you make a decision based on it is still up to you, right? If I look at the facts and say alcohol is bad for your health, but you might have a good time, right? Then yeah. you can still make a choice. I'm going to... Um, accept the risk of having a hangover tomorrow and having a little bit of a health risk, but for the sake of having short notice, short-term fun tonight, right? So you yeah. can still make this, but at least it was fact-based. It wasn't yeah. really based on gut feeling. I don't know what alcohol is about, but I'm going to just do it, right? right? It feels good, so I'm going to do yeah. it, but rather do it fact-based and more conscious about your choices. Um, I'm sure there's going to be limits, but not from the um, overdoing data culture side. It's more about that for many things, there just is not any data available, right? And it comes especially down to innovation, right? Whenever you do something completely new and disruptively new almost, mm -hmm. then there's just no historical data for it, right? There's nothing that ever has been done before. You cannot make a business case. You cannot argue if it works or not. So you just have to follow your gut feeling a little bit more and your expertise that it might work or doesn't work. Um, and it's gonna be more and more um, important and um, yeah, even faster the innovation cycles, especially with AI now, right? So um, yeah. how to balance this is gonna be important. Um, if you can though, at least try to be as fact-based as possible. If you feel any similar cases of innovation that you could at least use as a proxy for whatever innovation you're trying to do, then that's still better than just going completely in the dark and trying to do something that might fail in a big way or even lead you to a big risk that you weren't aware of before, right? Yeah. There's, there's so much information out there. There's so many studies for and against everything. And there's a case you can build for whatever point of view that mm -hmm. you want to go along with. How do we advise, as data people, how do we advise business people to have a single source of truth and try and focus on the most important facts. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think, um, first of all, 
from a business point of view, you always have more trusted and less trusted sources already, right? No matter mm -hmm. what, you you have a tendency to go to certain platforms and sources for the information rather than others, because over time you realize that they are more reliable when it comes to uh, making your decisions or acting yeah. on it than others. So that's already good, at least as an input. Making a single sort of truth um, in theory is a great idea. But usually it comes as a trade-off, right? When you go for a single source of truth, then you are negating the advantages of other sources already. Um, so doing it comes always with the conscious choice that you have now traded the advantage of a single source of truth with mm -hmm. the um, disadvantage of having lost the benefits of the other platforms or sources. So making that choice itself is hard. And I think um, nowadays it's very hard to actually go there. So. Um, it becomes more and more of a thing where you will have at least a few different types of sources with different aggregation levels and different types of um, data flow elements and aspects yeah. to actually make it suited to different needs rather than all of the needs being served by only one platform. Because mm -hmm. one size fits all going to work, it's going to work less and less, I feel like. And especially with, let's say, if you have a reporting need versus, let's say, a generative AI need, then yeah. you have completely different requirements to it, right? And you could say that let's just all do it with the most granular data. So generative AI will work and reporting will also work. But then reporting would take so much time technically to do something because the data is not aggregated at all. And it's just super granular that it's going to be very hard, right? So um, I would say follow the tendency and the um, preference of what is already more reliable sources. Mm -hmm. Then evaluate to find a balance between not only one thing source of truth, but like a few sources of truth, um, and then go with it this way. Um, but also be ready to be flexible in case you need to change the environment again, because mm -hmm. um, the needs that we have towards data is just changing so quickly. Nice. This podcast could be like a, a data journey. So we've now got an understanding. Um, mm -hmm. Top down is asking the right questions and they're thinking right. about it the right way. The next uh -huh. step is, is getting the people excited, getting the people on board with it. You are probably an expert in this more so than none with all your uh, your social work um, and content. Mm -hmm. How do we get people excited and, and thinking about data, the, the non maybe board level or even data people, everyone else in the business? Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I think it all starts with how we communicate, right? So um Let's say even as a data professional, most of our day-to-day -day is doing something with the hope that it creates value. And once mm -hmm. you actually have created value together with your stakeholders, right, um, how do you communicate it? And in many ways, I think the more junior data professionals are going to talk about how great the algorithm was that they created or what great of a code they wrote so it worked. But the actual thing that counts for most of the business people is the impact that it has, right? Mm -hmm. It finally means, so how much money did you generate? How did you manage brand reputation better? Or how much cost did you save because of the thing you did? Yeah. And to shift from um, how you did it to what the outcome of what you did actually was, I think is very much a key. And once you are already changing your mindset and your behavior to think more business outcome and business impact instead of how you did it when you communicate then you can get more creative as well and more entertaining right so um i myself use my musical talents a lot for example to talk about what the impact of being in a data role is mm -hmm. um i use also jokes or use gamification for example a lot as well internally or created talk shows with my team 
to actually make it more accessible too, right? So yeah. it doesn't have to be just a long white paper that you send around once a month and say, read through this 20 page PDF and you know what we're doing, but make it cool, right? Make it something that people are used to in the day to day, right? Look, okay, looking at a talk show video of five minutes on YouTube is familiar to some people. So they're gonna maybe watch it internally too. Uh, participating in game shows, like uh, people would do game nights um, yeah. at home, for example, is also familiar with people. So why not do it and give people a feeling of just competition, of healthy competition and fun as well. And music, of course, is everywhere around us, right? So everybody's into music. So why not make it something that is accessible through music as well? So at least you have the emotional bond to it as well. So, so yeah, I mean, First, changing the mindset to think about your audience and how they think and what is important to them when it comes to data. And then using, let's say, entertaining and new accessible ways of communication would mm -hmm. I think be the best fit there to really make it understandable and uh, impactful as well. So it sounds like as data people, we kind of need to leave our data ego at the door and mm -hmm. put on our thinking hats of... How are we going to make a difference and how do we think like them to solve their business problems? Exactly. But I do think though, right, data people among each other, and there's so many communities out there right now, they can nerd out about algorithms and codes and new Python packages, right? That's all good, but it's just not the right fit for the general audience out there, right? So mm -hmm. you cannot tell a CEO how great the new Python package is. It just doesn't work that way. So yeah. uh, you have to kind of switch gears a little bit between your closer community, like-minded people that are working in the same field and mm -hmm. where you can talk about all the details versus having a different communication style towards leaders and towards business experts and that are your stakeholders. What have you found successful in your methods? You mentioned a bit of gamification, changing your communication style. What advice would you have to someone who wants to be better in this? Um, I think one thing would be to use analogies and examples that rely on real life, right? So in my um, song about governance of data, for example, right, where it's about data governance, I have this one line where it says, um, if data is the force, then we're the Jedi Council, right? And that is basically referring, of course, to Star Wars, mm -hmm. but it also means that we are um, having a certain role there and everybody can somehow relate to Star Wars and what the Jedi Council is doing, right? And creating rules, overseeing things, monitoring things are going well, these kind of things that just work that way. Mm -hmm. And um, that, uh, for example, worked a lot. So a lot of people came to me afterwards and they, oh, I finally get it. I kind of get now why uh, you are like the Jedi Council there and why data is kind of the force. Um, yeah, and so using um, analogies um, and things that are based on pop culture or any elements that people are familiar with usually works. I think the other element that helps is by um, showing up together with stakeholders, right? So it's uh, inherently changing the element where word of mouth comes from. Instead of bragging yourself about how great you are and mm -hmm. data and how cool you are, use your stakeholders' point of view to make it more authentic that actually not only you think that way, but somebody else who worked with you thinks that way too. So the talk show that I mentioned before, for example, was an interactive talk show where uh, my team members were meeting up with um, stakeholders. And then they together talked about how great the collaboration was and what the business impact was they had together. And by doing it that way, right, 
people realize that the collaboration element itself is also great. Not only how the data team is working, but that the communication and the collaboration skills are there as well. Mm -hmm. And that helped a lot also by breaking the ice, basically. So people would uh, automatically, uh, proactively reach out all of a sudden and want to collaborate because they knew now from other sources that the collaboration itself is also great. And the data people are not just good in their hard skills, but also in their soft skills. Mm -hmm. Do you see the distance between data and business getting closer or is it still kind of staying quite apart? Um, I think it really depends on the industry and the department you're in, in your organization, it feels like. There are industries that are just by nature closer, right? Let's say tech companies are obviously much closer to the data than um, other companies, right? So um, this having said that usually already creates some guardrails on how close you are. And then there are departments in your company that are usually closer to the data than others as well, right? So for example, finance departments are obviously very close because they need their financial numbers every day and they need to work with it. Whereas let's say um, the HR department and let's say the marketing department might need to use data in certain ways, but it's still a lot based on people work and uh, critical thinking as well. So it feels more optional to work with data or not. Mm -hmm. um, generally speaking, though, um, I do feel the proximity getting bigger and that it's now people getting closer and departments getting closer now between data and business. But there's still a long way to go. And th I think we should all make some efforts to, to get there. Memes and music, do you think that is the uh, the way to bring people together? Um, I would say memes and music work for me. Um, and I think the key here is that uh, for me, memes and music are in my nature, right? And I do love memes and creating them. And I do love making music as well. So at least it is authentic. And I think that is the key here as well, right? So whatever you choose to communicate, what format you use, let it be authentic to yourself. Not just try to adopt somebody else's and then you're going to feel awkward and everybody's going to notice the awkwardness behind not communicating authentically. But find your own way that is comfortable for you and that you are um, basically uh, showing up in the most authentic way possible and then go with that one. As long as you're honest and you're truthful um, and you find your own way of entertainment, let's say, of how you communicate, then things are going to be fine. I am sure many people are very similar to me. I, if I don't understand something, I will watch a short YouTube video, get a brief mm -hmm. understanding. And then I'll find maybe three or four memes and it's not until the memes that it clicks and the humor, it just adds a different dimension to it. And you're an expert. You, you've been doing this for a while and mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, it's, it's helping a lot of people understand. Um, I know that from, from conversations that I've had, where, where does the inspiration come from? Where does the, the thought, is it, does it come quite naturally to you or is it, it's a bit of work that needs to be, trial and error needs to be done. Um, I think that, uh, first of all, when it comes to working in data, for me, I do observe the mundane a lot, right? I do observe the day-to-day -day and I consciously process it all to realize what are the daily problems or daily entertaining situations that we are in. Because sometimes it can be quite surreal, right? Like in what, what we're doing. Um. But I do enjoy memes too, right? So whenever I read articles with memes or I see like something on a social media platform, a meme, then 
um, it creates that spark and like, hey, that is now being applied to this uh, context, but it actually applies very well to the data context too. So click, let me do it this way. I think this is going to be good and people are going to understand what that means, right? So, um, and then I just create that meme. There's so many meme generators out there now also online, right? So I use the meme template. I create the data context around it. And then I basically know that a meme itself is not enough. I have to... Um, I want to make people really understand what I mean with yeah. it. So I have like a more serious text that actually explains what I mean with it and what the context around it is or how to solve that problem or how to avoid this kind of problem in the future. And it seems to work, right? Like catching people's attentions with a meme as a joke and then giving some more direct business context and like a deeper context around it, I think helps. At least for me, it does help too, right? So whenever I see a meme and then it's thought-provoking and then I will investigate a little bit more into the topic itself, then I understand actually what it's about. So um, it doesn't have to be only a joke only. It can be also a segue into learning something, which is great. Yeah, yeah I think something about memes, it makes you feel understood and heard because you think, oh, that's me. It's just relatable, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then you click into it and... And that's so that's when you provide more uh, insightful information on the topics right. is it's almost like your clickbait is the meme. Right, right. <laughs> and then you go into topics. How much exactly. work goes into the the, the work after because on LinkedIn you don't have to do that. You don't have to share this knowledge. What yeah. drives you to to give back so much? I mean, I think we, I actually go back to the very much uh, the focus of this talk and this podcast episode we're doing right now, right? And for me, I have just a strong passion to make data more inclusive and more mm -hmm. accessible for everyone. And um, I do feel like if we're all a little bit more focused on data and a bit more data literate, just um, not at only at work, but also in our lives, I think we're going to be smarter, very simply mm -hmm. put right? And data is all around us. I think it's not only um, now uh, work heavy, but let's say if you look at news articles and, and using a lot of numbers and data points um, in your day-to-day -day when you talk to other people, you use facts to um, argue, for example, with friends or to justify things as well. Um, if we're all a little bit more data literate and use data in a smarter way, then I think our lives can get better. And the, the other side of it is I don't think we can afford to not be get better in data because there's AI now and so many things that are taking over our lives as well. Um, otherwise, we're going to be left behind. So we have to get better at it. So I'm, I'm doing my best just to do it in a more entertaining way, right? I'm, I'm not going to start doing any lectures for other people or um, doing any regular webinars. That's probably not in my nature, at least yet. But mm -hmm. um, doing it in a more accessible, you know, fun way is my style and i'm really glad that people enjoy it too amazing and you did a ted talk recently and right you start you even started that on the keyboard tell us, tell us a little bit about that and, and where you can find it as well absolutely so um it was a tedx nuremberg talk so that is like um in my era that i'm living in the the tedx conference that happened um i was very glad and honored to be chosen as one of the six speakers there and my talk was about how human values have to drive the future of AI. And I deliberately started the talk with playing and singing on the piano, and then came with a twist that basically uh, that song was written by AI. 
and then went into how uh, their limits and um, to creativity, for example, when it comes to AI and how we as human beings have the skills and the traits to make AI better and ensure that it's used in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, generally speaking, it was a great um, experience. I mean, I think working towards it got more and more nerve-wracking as it continued. Um, um, luckily, there were speaking coaches. There were like regular feedback sessions about the talk. And then the stage rehearsal itself was super nerve-wracking just to be there. I think the real um, yeah, anxiety comes from to memorize a whole speech without a lot of PowerPointing anymore, right? So um, as usual as business, I would use a PowerPoint that has a lot of things written on there. So I would just piggyback yeah. on the bullet points and just continue talking. But if you have to memorize these kind of 14 to 18 minute talks in your head, then it's just a big deal. And you have to still seem natural and um, be present, right? And not just read it from your head or close your eyes the whole time, right? So yeah. um, that was, I think, a big challenge. But it made me a much more confident speaker now as well, I feel like, um, in anything that I'm doing publicly. So yeah, I'm, I'm very happy I did it. Um, people can check it out on YouTube. It's on the official 10X YouTube channel. Um, just look for my name, Kenkai Feng, or yeah, I think this is how you will find it then. Yeah, great talk. I do advise anyone to to check it out. Um, and of course, the voice was uh, your singing voice was yeah. up there for all to see. You write a lot of songs. Um, hopefully, it's a disclaimer that that was the only AI written song uh, yes. that you that you. It done. absolutely was. <laughs> Everything else is a hundred percent Kenkai. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so yeah. tell us a little bit more about. There's, there's a few songs I've seen them on Spotify. Mm-hmm. We can we'll add one in as well um, into the into the video. Tell us a little bit about that and how the music and the knowledge sharing goes hand in hand. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I've been playing piano since I was five, and I started writing songs when I was fifteen. So for me, being a musician came very early on in my life already. But it wasn't until like a few years ago in 2020 when I actually applied my musical skills to work as well. And it was actually in a really weird time, right? I think uh, as most of the world, COVID happened and lockdown happened. So there was a lot of being busy with staying at home and what to do there. And I kind of just used my musical skills to start a parody pop songs to sing about home office and being stuck at home and uh, having to do and do it with kids at home who cannot go to daycare anymore and these kind of things. And um, it overnight kind of just became that sensation internally in the organization and outside on LinkedIn that people needed it. It showed me that people actually needed in that um, weird time something to have joy about, even if it was a weird, dark time, um, but something that is relatable. And I started just applying this to work as well, right? I realized that if I can acknowledge all of the critical things about working on data and working with data, and then tell it to people in my way of doing it, then people are going to like it and they might understand in a different way. So I just started continuing it, um, both writing original songs and parodying things, right? And earlier this year, I had written um, a small parody badly called If Disney Songs Were About Data. And that is something, again, where Disney music is uh, really everywhere, but so is uh, working with data nowadays um, and how that fits together. It's just a lot of fun for me, and I'm glad that it brings fun to others as well. I think you're the uh, epitome of combining your hobbies and work. They don't have to be separate. You can bring them together. And who knows, you might inspire some other people, maybe artists to start drawing out. Um, That would be great, yeah. 
some technical drawings with a, a Monet twist. Who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Um, I am conscious of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the time's absolutely flown. So I want to finish with one question. Um, what, what can we do better? How can we be um, more inclusive as data people? Um, I would say um, let's start by creating more human connections again. That is, let's say, my simple answer. So next time you think about your clients or your stakeholders, have a proper conversation with them and talk about the motivations uh, about working with data. Talk about what your stakeholder and client might be interested in when it comes to data uh, beyond the day-to-day, right? Really just like what is their relationship with it and uh, then realize maybe how you can help with it as well. So making it more inclusive has to be a conscious choice. Um, so, But to do it, you have to understand first what's great, the distance. So once you realize where the distance comes from, then you can proactively uh, counteract it. And then we do it in our day-to-day too, right? Um, the more you do these kind of conversations, the more you realize there are patterns around why people are afraid or distant towards mm-hmm. data. And then you can change your communication style and your way of doing things to make it more and more inclusive. Absolutely awesome. And something we can all uh, play our part in to try and uh, try and get there. But that is all we have time for today. Thank you very much um, for your time and your rich insights, Tiankai. Thanks so much for having me. And as always, the listeners, um, yeah, don't forget to like and share so we can reach uh, as many people as possible. But it is bye from us. Thanks once again, Jiankai. Thank you. Bye bye.